Go Birds Radio, presented by the Bet Parks Casino and Sportsbook app. Official sportsbook of the real Philly fan. What's going on? It's Elliot Shore Parks for my friends at Window Nation. And if you've had enough of your windows keeping the house chilly, then fight the February cold with Window Nation. Right now, replace your windows and save big with 50% off all window styles, plus zero down, zero interest, and no payments for 24 months. With proven quality and service, it's no wonder thousands have trusted Window Nation. Don't miss out. Call 866-90-NATION or visit windownation.com to schedule your free in-home estimate. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> Heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. This episode of BGN Radio is brought to you by Clip It, the hottest app that is out there. Watch TV, make clips, and share. For more information, check them out at clipit.tv or check them on Twitter at clipittv. It is episode number 221. I can't believe we still made it this far. Every time we uh, record a new episode, I'm still amazed by that number. But we are live, live, live from the WIP studios uh, after moving to seven or ten different ones. And we finally found the right one to record. Uh, BGN Radio, number 221, right here at BleedingGreenNation.com and also BGNRadio.com. And I know what you're thinking. Johnny keeps saying BGNRadio.com, and that hasn't been updated since episode like 196. And we're working on that. We're going to clean everything up and get that started for the new year. We've got a couple other uh, great things out there as well. And, of course, as always, whether you're out there on SoundCloud or iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, uh, or just riding along on the RSS feed, if you have uh, any type of uh, rate, review, and subscribe capabilities, please do, please do so uh, to the BGN Radio Podcast. Tell your friends. Tell your grandmother. Maybe do some push-ups uh, and, and, and go about your day. But uh, the five-star reviews do go uh, a very long way. We are honored to have both of the draft gurus uh, here tonight, and it is uh, a Wednesday night as we're recording this. So, uh, Mr. Teron Davenport, how are you, sir, from TheEaglesWire.com? What's going on, buddy? Oh, nothing much, man. This is something I'm looking forward to, so I'm doing well. I hope you are also, and buckle up. We're about to have a nice ride. That's right. And, of course, uh, lead draft writer for BleedingGreenNation.com and also one of the, uh, I don't know, the best-looking gingers other than Carson Wentz around the Philadelphia area is Mr. Ben Deton. What's happening, pal? <laughs> I'm doing well. That's quite an honor. I'm the top, like, top five most handsome ginger in the southeastern Pennsylvania area. <laughs> I appreciate that's that. That's right. Thank you very much. Fighting the good fight up there in the, in New York City. And we're going to go very senior bowl heavy. We'll even look back to some East-West shrine stuff and well that we didn't really uh, touch on, but... 
you know, it's, uh, it's still not a, not a ton of, of Eagles news that's coming through. I do want to start with this, though, as uh, our old good friend Jeff Mosier over at the fourphilosports.com had uh, reported that Bryce Treggs and also DJB were a, a, a little more into the nightlife than they were about practicing and, uh, you know, being, being a part of the squad, which judging by their play and I guess Bryce Treggs' attitude on Twitter towards Uber drivers, this really doesn't surprise me too much. But, Teron, do you make anything uh, of that at all? I don't really make much of it. Um, I know Treggs put that work in. I, I watched him out there on the field put the work in. I watched him come in. I'll be one of the last guys that come off the field and into the locker room. But it's just unfortunate when you're in a situation like this where you have guys who are underachieving, who aren't performing, you, you get dropped in that fishbowl and everything is magnified. And I think if this team, you know, the receivers specifically, if they were doing better, this wouldn't be an issue. I do know that the two of them bonded very quickly. They became, the, you know, the best of friends. Uh, their lockers are next to each other. And uh, DGB told me early in the process that he and, and Treggs were cool. And I, I talked to both of them throughout the year, and there's definitely a relationship. As far as the, the going out thing, I mean, look, they're young men in a new city. Uh, is it the best thing to do? I don't think so, but you want to balance it out. You can't just only do football, 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 because you will get burned out. Oh, yeah. I mean, that that happens a lot, and I think we overreact to that a lot. We Everybody knows if you're a Flyers fan, the Dry Island stuff from a long time ago really didn't end up. Well, it mattered for Mike Richards because, you know, he stuck to the pills. That's not really <laughs> alcohol, but that's a whole different other story. Uh, yeah, I don't know, Ben. Is that Do you have any kind of opinions on, on, on that stuff, or is it just, just guys being guys here? I mean, it's a little bit frustrating because, I mean, you look at DGB's career and a lot of it's just kind of been underachieving and reports that he doesn't care about football. Now, I can't really speak for Triggs, but it, when these guys are underperforming, like Teron said, this stuff gets put in the, the magnifying glass. And uh, it's frustrating. And, and it's not really about – it's not, like, just about, like, oh, well, they're going out too much. Because, like, we all know, like, Deshaun Jackson and LaShawn McCoy, like, they love going out too – but they showed up on Sunday. So it's like, you didn't really care about that as a fan or even, I mean, obviously the coaches cared a little bit when Chip Kelly came to town, but I mean, if guys are letting their play talk for them on Sundays, like it doesn't really matter what they're doing the other six days of the week, as long as it's with within the confines of the law. But you know, if, if these guys are going out all the time and they're not showing up on Sundays, that's when questions start getting raised. Yeah, it's, it, really, it really actually goes right back into the whole boat thing again, right? Like, if, if the Giants win that football game, they're actually awesome for going on the boat and then kicking ass and taking names. But Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's, it's kind of a, a frustrating double standard, and, like, I, I get that. Um, but it, it, the bottom line is, like, you need to show up. And, and like, Treggs is a little bit different because Treggs was an undrafted free agent. He was signed off a practice squad, and it's like, you're not, I mean, any expectation for him to be like a guy, like immediately, I mean, he's talented, but any expectation for him to be a guy is, is a little bit ridiculous um, from an immediate standpoint. But I mean, Green Beckham has had expectations his whole career and he's never really lived up to them. And there's always been like a consistent theme around that, uh, you know, going back to Missouri, where it was like he had work ethic issues. And then at Oklahoma, they were talking about how he wasn't really even practicing with the team. He was still just like, he was like immediately like looking at the draft. And then in Tennessee, like he didn't care to learn the playbook. And that's like, it's following him everywhere he's going. And eventually, I mean, where there's smoke, there's fire type of thing. But 
I mean, if these guys are playing on Sundays and they're playing well, nobody cares. So it's, yes. I mean, just show up on Sundays. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's kind of, a, I don't know, it's it's, it's something in the offseason to talk about, really. That's, it. That's how I kind of look at yeah. this thing because of most of the things we did see in the Senior Bowl and, the, and because of all the other things that have been happening and we talked about last week where Howie Roseman looks like he's going to come in here and clear a bunch of cap space, and I still do think that there's going to be at least one splash in free agency, and I think that's okay. I think at this point you kind of need to to do that, and hopefully it, it doesn't turn into a disaster. But uh, there are a lot of different wide receivers that have caught my eye throughout this, this Senior Bowl week here at Tehran, and I want to start with Zay Jones because you did – Talk to him, uh, at least for a little bit, throwing the football game plan there with our good friend Emery Hunt. And what do you make of this kid? Because I, I look at his stock kind of rose dramatically for senior ball. I think he's one of the guys that really, really helped him uh, himself out. And I think he's I think he's an instant kind of day two guy here. Um, you know, you, you both of you were the ones that said, hey, you got to take a look at this kid. And when you do, I mean, this, those hands are no joke, man. I, 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 got, I was enthralled by it. And. Uh, a lot of these guys during the during the practices, just reading from what you wrote, Saron, into the game, they pretty much did the same things that they did in practice as they did in the game, and, and Zay Jones was still at the top of my list there. Yeah, there's one word that really describes Zay Jones, and that's polished. Uh, I think he's polished as a person, polished as a speaker, polished as a football player as well, polished as a man. He obviously comes from a family of football players, his older brother, Caleb Jones, was here in Philadelphia last year. His uncle, Jeff Blake, one of my favorite all-time quarterbacks. And then in addition to that, his his father, Robert Jones, was a linebacker for the, uh, the Cowboys. So you have the bloodlines. Just in watching him play, you, you know, when you look at him, he looks a lot longer than he is. And his ability to get in and out of his breaks, that stands out to me. I love the way he catches the football. It's always with his hands. Like I said, he's a very polished, a disciplined receiver. You see him always using the, the, the sideline rule, whereas you give the quarterback three to four yards to drop the ball so you could fade to the football within, you know, without going out of bounds. That's something. Uh, he attacks the football as well. Routes, like I said, are polished. Uh, I really like the double move. There was a vine. I forget who it was, but they put it on there, and he freaked the nonsense out of Desmond King. And Desmond, Desmond King is a guy that a lot of people have in their top five top six, seven uh, cornerback list. Hot take they shouldn't have them. Sorry, go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) And judging by the way Zay Jones did him a couple times, you might be right. But, yeah, that's what I think of when I think of Zay Jones. Polish, 158 catches, you have to have some type of ability to put up that production at any level. So I don't care about the system stuff. I talked to him about that, and, you know, somebody has to make the plays, and he was the one. Yeah, and, uh, Ben, I want to get your opinion on that too, but here is uh, – and the thing that impressed me most about the interview that you're about to hear uh, that Teron had with Zay Jones is the fact that and, – and Teron even pointed this out where he's – I mean, he called him by his name, and, and he's very respectful. He's got a good head on the shoulders. He seems like a really good teammate. Here's uh, Zay Jones with Teron Davenport. East Carolina wide receiver, yes, the all-time leader in receptions, <laughs> Zay Jones. Zay, as I mentioned, you're an all-time leader in receptions. Obviously, the ability to catch the football is there. How did you develop that ability? It's just I got my hands from my mama. I mean, she, she, she raised me uh, and, and taught me how to play the game. And that just it went on from there. I didn't get it from my dad, even though my dad played in the league for ten years. <laughs> well, who, who's better, you, you, or, you or Caleb? That, that's the that's the real question. You know, I'm, a, I'm a 
keep it safe and say that Levi is. Uh, my younger brother, he's a linebacker right now, and he's an Under Armour All-American, so he's doing that great stuff, and I'm really proud of him. What's some of the feedback you've gotten from the, the scouts and personnel folks here? Um, a lot of people want to see me go up against um, some better competition. Uh, you know, East Carolina wasn't in Power 5 school, so they want to see how, how well I compete, and I really feel like I'm removing all doubt, and I'm coming out here, and I'm proving I can play at a high level. Yeah, I, I think at the end of the day, football is football. Football's but, football. I mean, there are some adjustments that you have to make. So going against these corners that you've gone against, uh, what, what would you say is the biggest difference between these guys you're seeing and the guys that you've seen in the yeah, past? Teron, you're right. Football is football. Um, but these guys out here are phenomenal. I'm going up against some great defensive backs um, from some great universities. And it's just great to see where, where I match up. Um, you can't take the, these guys lightly, though. Um, they know their stuff. They're, they're well coached as well. Um, just going to use the techniques that I was taught. Um, coach Montgomery and, and Coach uh, McGagan, my coaches at ECU, did a great job preparing me for this level and getting me ready, and I feel as though I am. What was it about uh, East Carolina, the offense, that, that allowed you to? I mean, I'm not going to say allowed you, no, but because yeah. you, you have the ability. Yeah. But, I mean, as far as how they featured you in, in that offense, what was it that allowed you to do what you did? Toronto, a lot of people say that my numbers are inflated and that, and that you know, it's the system. But I, I truly believe that I was just able to get open. Um, you know, you, you have your reads. Yeah, some reads were coming to me, but I, I just I just worked hard to, to get open. I just had great chemistry with my quarterback, and my teammates did a great job of allowing me to get open. You know, there was – that we had uh, matchups all across the board. You know, I had guys like Jimmy Williams helping me, Quay Johnson, DeAndre Ferry. So I had a lot of players around me to help me be successful. End of the day, somebody has to make the play, right? I yeah, mean, that's, that's how to, I look somebody at Somebody has it. to make the play. So, What's some of the feedback? Like, What's the, the top thing that you've gotten from scouts as far as an area for improvement? Because yeah. I know you mentioned that, but, I mean, as far as, you know, your ability, what's the positives that they've said about you? Yeah, uh, just great hands, great catch radius, um, a lot of – a lot of praise for just how well I catch the ball, um, and I knew that that I could I could catch the ball well. Go, going up and attacking the ball at its highest point, um, proved that today that I could do that. Um, scouts want to see better quickness from me, and that's something that I've been working on at uh, Phoenix Exos, uh, where I'm training at. So I'm just trying to make myself complete. Just be versatile, be able to play inside and outside, and come on here and just put on a great showcase. Last question: You ever catch any footballs from your uncle? Because he, at one point, was one of the best deep ball throwers my, in the game. I, I have my uncle. My uncle still got it. Uh, he was trying to throw for my pro day, but uh, my quarterback Phil Nelson is in the draft as well, and he's going to throw for me. But if, if Phil wasn't throwing, I'd definitely select my uncle. By the way, his uncle Jeff Blake, former Cincinnati Bengal fellow ECU football player. Zay, I appreciate you coming on. This is Zay Jones, East Carolina, all-time receptions leader. Keep an eye on him. He's going to be playing on Sunday soon. So, Ben, I mean, uh, again, like when, you, when you're when you listening to those things, it, it, it just kind of makes it, uh, make it, makes it that much better. The play goes with a, with a good head on his shoulders. But where do you value uh, Zay Jones at this point? Zay Jones, what I get a lot from him is I get that Jarvis Landry vibe. Hmm. And I think Landry, first of all, is a really underrated player in the league and just the type of player who's playing at a million miles an hour. You know, he's not going to blow up the combine, but he's going to catch 90 passes through every year. He's going to go over the middle. He's going to run through guys after the catch. And it's just that kind of dependable football player that maybe you're not running your offense through, but the type of guy who can move the chains in between the 20s and just be a really valuable part of your football team. And I think for the Eagles, especially when they don't really have that go-to guy, that guy that, that you can really depend on as a receiver outside of maybe Jordan Matthews, a guy like Jones, 
you know, a guy who's dependable, a guy who runs his routes, gets open in the middle of the field, who, who is tough in traffic. They don't really have that physicality on the offensive side of the ball. And I think Jones would be a good addition. I mean, obviously any kind of, any kind of uh, boost to the receiving core would be, be an improvement over what they currently have. But I do really like Jones. Like I said, I don't think he's going to be the one to like, test really well. And you're, you know, a lot of Eagles fans are really thirsting for that deep threat type of player, which I, I'm not sure he can really do. But just a guy who can really dominate the middle of the field and, and collect a lot of catches um, and move the chains type of player. Yeah, I get that mentality from a lot of Eagles fans. You know what? You know what, guys? I just want somebody to catch a goddamn football. <laughs> you know, that's it. That's it. I'm. I'm. I, I don't care about the deep threats anymore. We, you know, you can. There's. You, you can. You can semi find that pretty much anywhere. I know the the ones that do it really well. I know it's it's hard to find those guys, but that that's why that's why I'm I'm very attracted to uh, what Zay Jones kind of brings there. Ben, I want to go back to you. What what was some of the things that maybe stood out for you in the Senior Bowl this weekend? Um, something that I I was hearing a lot about. I kept on hearing about Cooper Cup, mm-hmm. and here we go. Here we go. It's a sore <laughs> subject with you, John. Um, but it's I mean there needs to I mean there needs to be some kind of tempering here because you know how this happens. Someone has a good week at the Senior Bowl, and then immediately he's the best whatever in the entire world. And you know, Cooper Cup got some pretty pretty. Um, he got some he got some smoke blown up his ass during this week, uh, in terms of just like oh you know this is you know this is the third or fourth best receiver in the class. It's like yeah, all right okay come ridiculous. on like a guy can be good a player can be good without being the best, and that just needs to be something that we like get out of the way right now because that's such a frustrating aspect of this whole draft process. It's like as soon as someone is recognized as being good, they either need to be recognized as being the best or they're terrible. And it's just like we don't need to do that. That overcorrection makes the process so frustrating for writers because as soon as you critique him, it's like, oh well you're a hater. Yeah. Um so, you know, I went I wrote about Cooper Cup and, and so had something come out today about him. And what really strikes me about him is he's so, so good after the catch. And, you know, he's 6'2", probably about 215-ish pounds. So you expect these bigger receivers to be more catch point guys. But just his ability to kind of find open space after the catch and immediately transition to being a runner is so impressive. And a guy who can create that offense is going to be a massively valuable player in, I mean, in any, in, in any squad, but like, Seeing him in the Eagles, potentially having him as a slot receiver, you get him open in the middle of the field, you know, get him open against zone coverage. It's similar to what the Eagles have been doing with Jordan Matthews, but possibly even better after the catch. And, you know, he's running through guys, he's running past guys. And yes, he's an older prospect. He's going to be going into his rookie year at 24 years old. That's pretty substantial for a rookie. Um, but if you're getting that guy on day two of the draft, I mean, you're getting a really solid number two option in your passing game on a rookie contract. And he's already very polished uh, in terms of his route running. He's solid catching the football. I wouldn't say he's great at the catch point. That's not really his game. Um, at the very least, you're not really seeing him a lot in those contested situations because he's open all the time in college. Um, but, I mean, he's someone that I would take, you know, late date, a late uh, second round, early third round type of player who can really contribute on the first day. Um, other things I was hearing about. Was well, really hearing actually, before we get before we go, I want to I want to kind of go back and forth. Yeah, to, no, that's to, fine. To, we, to we Ron, what is I saw you shaking your head when it, when Ben was saying like you know he's 24 and that's something you kind of need to be 
concerned about. Are you not? Yeah. Are you not so much on that weight? I'm not. I'm not really concerned about a guy being 24 coming to the league because I, I tell you what, he the way he plays, his style of play, it's not based off of speed. It's it's not based off of, of skills that that will deteriorate over time. So my thing is when I look at him, okay, you could draft him and have a an ultra reliable receiver for your quarterback. What is the thing that that Carson Wentz really needs? He needs a guy that will consistently get open. Ben talked about, you know, his ability to find the holes. I tell you, I watched him firsthand. He will find a hole in, in a window, you know, a window in the zone, so to speak. And then, in addition to that, you have the questions about his speed. I don't have a problem with his speed. I watched him drive uh, a cornerback, you know, release off the line hard, drive him back, break down, work his way back to the football, and use his big body. I mean, not everybody has to be a 4-3-9, a 4-3-3, even a 4-4 athlete. The guy whose records he broke, not Jerry Rice, you know, was a 4-6. <laughs> oh, there it is. Teron so, broke it. Teron broke the seal. <laughs> Jerry Rice and Speed just brought up uh, <laughs> Mark the date before uh, oh February 1st. So yeah, there you go. It, hey, look, and <laughs> well, we could go on and on to we, yeah. we talked about Jarvis Landry earlier, a 4-7 guy, Anquan yeah. Bolden, 4-7. But really what I like about Cup is just it, it goes back to the polish. I mean, you watch him work at the line. His release is really good. You don't see him get jammed uh, often. And the other thing, and Joe Douglas actually talked about this when I asked him about scouting smaller school guys. He went right to Cooper Cup and talked about how he had eight to 900 yards against higher-level competition. Mm-hmm. That's something you always look at. And he leveled up. Interesting thing, uh, my guy Chris James with Football Game Plan had a nice conversation with him. And Cooper Cup said, actually, the defenses that he went against in college to him were more uh, – excuse me, in, in college, obviously. Yeah, but yeah. at, at a FCS level were more uh, difficult to, to work against than the ones that he faced when he went against these FBS schools because he said you saw more – um, elaborate defenses where they were doubling them and, and then also, you know, the boxing one style coverage, whereas he got a lot of just man. And he showed that you, you man up with me, I'm going to give you problems. And that's what he did in, in those games. I think it was two touchdowns every time he played at FBS school. Yeah, you're, you're noticing that actually a lot more and more when it's FCS versus FBS. And, you, and especially with, yes, yes, Mr. Carson Wentz, your alma mater coming into Iowa, facing a Big Ten school. And it was like night and day, but to, to, uh, comparatively between the systems there. And it's, I, I, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's just more of they do run a more pro style type of thing in the FCS. They have more time to do that. I'm not exactly sure what it is, but I'm starting to see that a lot more and more. I always will come back to, to Cooper Cub, and, I, it, and, and I'm with you, Ben. I think it's just that the pendulum swung way too far the other way. I think I'm more <laughs> upset about that than I actually yeah. am the player. I think he's I think he is like a, a very good guy. I, I think a second round could be reasonable. I'm, it still worries me just a little bit there. I still think he's more of a round three plus guy, but you know, and and it's funny too because you mentioned that and I I forgot who tweeted it, but somebody was says like, "Yep, what I've seen is there's there's 79 graded uh, first round players oh, that yeah, I've seen," and I was just like, "Well, of course, because every, everybody has a different opinion on that seven there. This is the <laughs> deepest class of talent." It's like, no, 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 no. It's just it's just your opinion of that. Yeah, it's like every time someone does anything, it's like, oh well, you know, he's my number one receiver now. It's yeah, like, yeah, right. yeah, exactly. Like, can't, Actually, I made a mistake. Keep doing this. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's funny. like, oh well, I have, I have number one. I have this guy's my receiver one A, B, C, D. It's like you're going to go through the whole goddamn alphabet before you get to your number two receiver. This <laughs> is ridiculous. Yeah, and you're right because the guys do tend to get so caught up, and it's even 
escalated up to these national guys. Daniel Jeremiah is an excellent example. Now, I watched Paul Moreau practice three times. I didn't get first-round pick, <laughs> right? So yeah. when I watch the game and I hear him saying he wouldn't be surprised if he goes the first round, he is a first-rounder. And you hear Mike Mayock saying, oh, well, you know, second-rounder may be a first. I go back and look at Jeremiah's top 50 players and guess what name is absent from the top 50 players. So, yeah, yeah you got to guard yourself against getting caught up. And I, I know, man, like there's times – like I remember – I remember when I first discovered Brandon Cooks, man, I was watching Marcus Wheaton, and I kept seeing number seven instead of number two making plays. And I'm like, man, I love this kid. You know, and then <laughs> yeah, all of a sudden yeah. I wanted to put him as my top receiver, but then you got guys like Kelvin Benjamin and, and Mike Evans in that class, and I couldn't do it. Yeah, of course, yeah. And it, and it's and it's that important time, especially when when the first time you're seeing something, and I get I get that feeling too. So when when somebody running, when somebody pops out on uh, on the film, and you're not expecting that when you're watching another player, and you're like, oh wait, who's this guy? And you kind of follow them along and get really excited, and well, maybe I can be the guy that breaks this out and puts it on my timeline <laughs> or whatever. It's like, hey, I'll check this out. And I'm I'm noticing that actually with the it's it's kind of going back and forth here to run with Sidney Jones. And yeah. I've noticed that, and and uh, I've seen a lot, actually a lot of great videos, and it's some that I, things that I didn't notice before, like that, like the way he beats a lot of folks on his first couple of steps. There's no wasted steps there, which made me it made him a lot more intriguing to the me. Footwork once, is once I went back and watched again. Yeah, it's really impressive. What is it that you like about Sidney Jones so much? Well, it's a mixture. Uh, footwork, obviously, but the ball skills. That guy will go up and attack the football. But the thing that I like the most about him. That kid never panics, man. Well, when I was at the game against Arizona State, man, I watched. They were trying to get vertical with a bigger receiver. I forget his name. He wore number one. But you would see that receiver kind of eat up that cushion, and he didn't panic. You know, he just broke down, turned, and, and ran with him. And, and you don't see any, you know, his arms aren't flailing or anything like that. He just – he's disciplined, and he's always what they call in phase, which basically is you're just always in position to make a play on the ball. And I think that's that's extreme with him. And then in addition to that, I, I've seen some of these morons question his his toughness, you know, his ability to, to come up and play the run. I, I don't think – well, let me not call names. I've seen some of these guys do that. But I don't think that that's really an issue, especially when you're looking at a cornerback. Like, you're not grading him on his ability to stop the run. You're grading him on his ability to keep you from giving up chunk plays. And he doesn't give those up too often. But then on top of that, he doesn't have to be physical. Like a lot of these corners, I remember Darquez Denard coming out mm-hmm. and, and Trey Waynes also. These are guys that, that were overly physical. They were too handsy. So when they got to the league, you, you saw them not do as well as they did in college. And in, in fact, in Denard, he was one of the top in getting holding calls. Sidney Jones does not need to put his hands on a, on a receiver to, to reroute them. He could do that with his footwork and take away where they want to go at their release. I mean, that's that's superb with him, and he is my top corner. It's been that way for quite some time, you know, and, and it's not going to change. Yeah, and, and Ben, I wanted to get your thoughts on that too because this is the discussion I think a lot of people are having right now on where exactly to – you know, evaluate you know Quincy Wilson and and things like that because they're and I I'm obviously I'm I'm with Tehran I think that Sidney Jones is is uh, is a lot better than than that but you know like his uh, Qu- Quincy Wilson's ability to tackle and, and things like that and you know there's there's some of those nuances which he doesn't have down yet but I mean he's still a pretty decent cover corner 
and I still think he kind of belongs at least in that top list unless I'm seeing something different. Do you have a different opinion on on uh, on Wilson here? Well, this cor- cornerback class is really about pick your flavor. Yeah. I, I'm more in the tease Tabor train in terms of uh, the first cornerback in the class. But I love Sidney Jones primarily because of his ball skills and just general ability to create turnovers. Because not only is he always looking for the ball in coverage, but after the play, I mean, after, after a catch, he's always looking for that strip. I mean, and if you have a guy who's prioritizing those turnovers – you're eventually going to get them, and nothing is more important than on defense, in my opinion, than guys who can who can create turnovers. Mm-hmm. Other than the guys who can put pressure on the quarterback, so Jones is that type of playmaking cornerback that I really like, uh, and that's also why I like Tabor because he's similarly very good with the ball in the air and also uh, good in terms of forcing fumbles or looking to force fumbles. You're creating tackles behind the line of scrimmage. Wilson is a little bit more raw in that regard. I, I don't think he has the, that ball skills. I think he's a smart player. I think he's a physical player. Um, but in terms of that just overall polish that, that you know, Sidney Jones has or that, like, that incredible athleticism that I think Tease Tabor has, um, he's not quite there yet. I wouldn't put him in that top tier of cornerbacks. But this cornerback class is really tremendous. So I mean, there's still yeah. guys. I mean, even just not including those guys, you have you have a Marshawn Lattimore, who's oh. just an excellent, excellent athlete. Adoree Jackson, who I really do think is a, is a cornerback prospect and a good one at that. Mm-hmm. Um, then, you know, Cordrea Tankersley, who I yes. think has been super underrated during this process, another very good athlete, you know, very polished cover cornerback just a ton of different guys in terms of, you know, what do you really want on your defense? You know, are you prioritizing speed? Do you want ball skills? Do you want a guy you can tackle? Do you want a zone cover corner? You know, every single one of those flavors is really getting uh, different guys who can fill that. I mean, you know, even, even a guy like Desmond King, who I know you don't love, John, is, you know, yeah, still either. that type of guy. If you're running a lot of cover two in your defense, he's a guy who can really play in that cover too, come up against the run tackle. He has really nice ball skills, obviously not the biggest or the fastest cornerback, but a smart physical player who is, is, you know, quite good at creating turnovers. And I, you know, I've heard a lot of rumors that he might be moving to safety at the next level. And that could very well be a big boost to his stock, big boost to his career. Um, but overall, there's just so many good cornerbacks in this class. Um, but yeah, absolutely. Well, like, and, and, and and just to stick on the 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 Desmond King thing, because you you brought it up, he has to go to safety. There's, I mean, there's no there's no way about it. And I've I've tried to tell people this for a long time now. It's just that he doesn't he doesn't have it at the NFL level. He just, I mean, it's just it's just he, not there. And I think I think that's going to be confirmed more or less at the combine. It's just, it's it's not there, so that's that's why I get confused when when people are like, "Ugh, Wilson, I'm never going to touch him." But then they look at Desmond King, like, "Oh yeah, give me that." Yeah, it's, you know, it's it's, 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 it's a weird it's corner. It's in the eye it of the beholder. You know, when I look at, at Desmond King, you know, it, he's deceiving because of how he's built. You know, seeing him firsthand, the guy's built like a mini linebacker. Like mm-hmm. he's very squatty and. I tell you a guy who he patterns his game after, and he's actually built like him. And it's funny because uh, in talking to, to Chris James, the same guy who predicted Dak Prescott would be really good, um, <laughs> he he made the comparison to Daryl Revis. And that's that's actually the guy that Desmond King patterns his, his game after. And like Revis, King is not an outstanding athlete. He's just a squatty, uh, very 
lower body mm-hmm. built type of guy Definitely. that can cover. I just want to see how he's going to be in those man situations. And and Revis, you know, is the kind of guy that was able to to uh, use other tools, you know, as far as like uh, you know how to cover without being an extreme athlete. So I want to see how he could do. But I think King is more of a corner. I don't know that I would put him at safety, but it all is going to depend on the scheme that he's in. Yeah, and like I said, Desmond King's the best corner ever now that I know that uh, he's been compared to Daryl Revis's uh, physique <laughs> and technique. And things no, like now that. we're just comparing styles. That's <laughs> I know, all. I know. It's just styles. Go ahead, It kind of reminds me a few years back uh, – I was a big fan of Ricardo Allen during the 2014 draft. I mean, he was a smaller corner, wasn't super fast, you know, but really good ball skills, really physical player. And then he ended up getting moved to to safety by the Falcons. And he's been a pretty good player for the Falcons the past two years at safety, just because of, you know, he's an intelligent guy, you know, physical for his size, good ball skills. And I, you know, I could see King getting, getting put in the same situation, but I think with a guy like King, um, you want to te- you want to see how he does at corner first. You, you draft him, you know, wherever uh, he goes, and then you kind of put him in camp at corner and see how he does maybe through camp through preseason. And if it really isn't working, then yeah, then you give him a shot at safety because I think his football IQ is so so high. Uh, and you know, despite athletic athletic drawbacks, I think a guy who's that smart, he belongs on a football field somewhere. Yeah, and then he'll get traded to the Patriots for a fourth rounder, and then everybody will be freaking happy <laughs> about that. <laughs> No, I'm just kidding. Um, I, I tell you, I, I do want to get. I, I did want to get into a, a lot more stuff because uh, you know Teron has been down there. I do want to get into some questions which are draft uh, related, and we went to the Facebook.com for the first time ever. So we'll be transitioning in between uh, there and Twitter. And just so you guys know, now BGN Radio finally, I don't know what took us so long, has its official Facebook uh, page. So it's just BGN Radio Podcast after the you know Facebook slash and all that good stuff, too. We'll post a lot of it on the Bleeding Green Nation uh, Facebook page as well, which you should be liking and sharing already. Let's get to uh, Christopher Davis, uh, who asked the crew, how do you guys feel about the updated injury issue on uh, Corey Davis, a.k.a. the next Terrell Owens? Uh, could that drop his stock at all, Mr. Teron Davenport? I don't think it would drop his stock at all. I think, uh, if anything, he'll remain the same. He may have uh, risen because he's such a, a supreme athlete that he would have tested well, but I don't think it's going to drop him. And I love the T.O. comparison because I, last year he made a catch in the Bahama Bowl, and uh, you know it was a little hook that he caught on the outside, and he he grabbed that thing, and he was running down the side, and I was like, oh, my God. Cause, <laughs> For the record, T.O. and Andre Reid are my two favorite players Double ever. Time. So, you know, nice. I had to kind of wipe my mouth after watching <laughs> him run down the sidelines looking like T.O. So um, I don't think it would hurt him at all. At this point right now, I mean, how much more production do you have to see from this guy? He, he's one on the inside, one on the outside, catch the short ball, take that a distance, could run by corners. I don't think there's much more you need to see from him. Uh, ben, he's still number one on your board too? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> no. That, that, <laughs> Yeah, Teron said it all. He he is the type of receiver who wins in every single way. Um, and I forget, I think it might have been a game against Toledo off the top of my head where he scored three touchdowns. Mm. One of the touchdowns was a run and catch, like 40-yard touchdown. <laughs> the the second touchdown was him, you know, beautiful post route, uh, singled up on a corner, just completely murked the corner on the route, getting open deep, touchdown. 
And the third one was him going up over like two guys and scoring another touchdown. He scored in every single way you want a receiver to be able to score in the NFL. You know, that the yards after the catch, getting open deep and getting open in traffic. And, you know, the fact that he's so versatile and kind of able to win in all those different ways and you can move him around the formation. uh, He's awesome. And I think he's such an easy evaluation. And you look at how he played against teams like Wisconsin and Ohio State and Michigan State. I mean, he has this production against those bigger programs. Um, so it's not really a big worry for me in terms of, oh, you know, he was playing in the MAC. So there's a, you know, there's a kind of a worry about uh, competition. It, whenever he faced better competition, he was able to produce. So I'm not really worried about that. I think he's outstanding. Best receiver in the class. Easy. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'm still I'm still kind of holding on to my Mike Williams thing, and I don't really know why anymore. To be honest with hey, you, I, mean, I I still I you know, and, and it's it's probably going to take uh, it's probably going to take both of those guys a little longer than I think everybody's expecting. At least that's my opinion, and that's kind of I don't know. I guess how how Howie's going with that. And speaking of that, because you know there has been a lot of talk of of that that normal three year period for a wide receiver to come in the NFL. Derek Thompson is asking in the past podcast or so, it's been talked about, uh, you know, with the three-year experience for a wide receiver on a hit. So on a scale from, oh, look at that, to Chip is a genius, what's the chance of Nelson Aguilar taking a big step this offseason, Ben Deton? I mean, there's only really one direction to go for him. Um, <laughs> like, he can only get better at this point, and I guess that's probably op- the optimistic side of things. And I mean, look, he had a, he had a rough, he had a, you know, he had a rough rookie campaign. Then he had a rough off season with a coach and then there was a coaching change. And then he was working with a rookie quarterback. You know, he had his mistakes during this past year, but I mean, there's a reason to believe that, you know, second year with the, the coaching staff, second year with the quarterback, hopefully a, hopefully a incident free off season where you can just kind of focus on football. Um, it's, I mean, it's, it's a mental game, and there's no doubt that he's talented. We know that he's talented. He had a couple plays during the year that kind of, you know, he had a play against the Lions um, that was really impressive. He had that touchdown against the Browns that was really impressive, the touchdown against the Giants. I mean, there's plays that would suggest that it's still there for him. It's a matter of just kind of getting his head on straight, and that's a tough thing for any professional athlete to just kind of focus and, and get your confidence up, and that's going to be a big thing with the coaching staff. So, you know, I wish him the best. I think that it's it's an uphill battle, but there's really only one direction for him to go at this point. Um, and if he's able to improve his game, that's great for the team. That's great for him. Uh, and I, I'll probably be on the more optimistic side of this. I, I, wow, it is, look at it you. Tough for receivers too. They might they might make three of us because I know Toronto and I are probably the only less yeah. Nelson Aguilar defenders even going into the going uh, you know after the last couple of games there. So I know Toronto's kind of on board with that I, as well. I mean the team the team is probably less optimistic than we are because they're already talking about you know adding they're probably already talking about adding talent to the team and you know through free agency or or the draft and prioritizing getting weapons in the passing game for for Wentz. So, I mean, there is a possibility that, you know, Aguilar is on the team in the preseason, but there's two or three guys ahead of him on the depth chart just because of the draft and free agency. Um, but you know, I wish him the best. I think that no, nobody nobody loses if he ends up being a good player. I don't um, think and, I don't think and, Nelson is, is going to not be a starter for this team, to be honest with you. I think going into camp he's going to be a starter. And the thing is, 
at all positions, with the exception of quarterback, probably they're they're looking to to get better. And that's as as a GM, as a, a, a talent evaluator, it is your job every year to figure out how you could get better. So I don't think them working to get better at the receiver position is necessarily an indictment of uh, Nelson Aguilar or Jordan Matthews or, or anyone else. I think that it's an area where they need more production. I mean, that's just Nelson will tell you that himself. And uh, it, it's for him, it's, it is a mental thing. That's really what it is. I mean, talking to him one or two two times a week for the whole season, it, it's it's mental. There's a lot of ability still there. You watch the way he runs his routes. You watch him get open. It's just finishing the play. And uh, I would always tell him, you know, just let the game come to you naturally. That's what you have to do. And he would always tell me he's right. And I would, you know, tell him, hey, man, look back at some of the things you did at SC. You were one of the top prospects that year. Yeah. The game came to you easily. Let it let it be come to you again. again. Yeah, let hey. it be fun. And that's really all he has to do. Yeah, yeah. And it's um, yeah, it'll be. Uh, I, I think it's an interesting year for him. And and hopefully. Yeah, I'll take Chip looks like a genius to to make it, make it a long answer even longer. But uh, that'd be great. I would take anything at this point as long as uh, Nelson Aguilar is is uh, is functional. Uh, our good friend Saint Nick at Angry Pants twenty four, uh, Toronto. Do you think uh, Smallwood got enough chances last year to see if he could be the guy uh, next year this this upcoming season? I don't know that I call him the guy, but I could call him one of the two or three guys. And Smallwood, the game for me was the Steelers game, 17 carries. I think it was 79 yards he had. And you just saw him. He had two consecutive drives where he was getting the football, running the ball inside, and you just see him start to settle into that groove. And if you talk to any running back, they'll tell you. None of them like to be in a committee kind of thing. But they'll tell you, you know, the more I get the ball, the, the more uh, uh, comfortable I get. And then when you run, like let's say you're running a trap play, and you notice a linebacker, you know, playing a certain way um, after you get to when you get to that second level, you know, OK, you know what? He's going to over pursue this. Let me cut it back. And then that five yard run becomes a 17 yard run. And if you have a block on the outside, hey, it could be a 40 or 50. So I say all that to say, let him get the ball more. I wouldn't necessarily call him a, a feature back. But I think if, if you could get a guy like a Jamal Williams, who was outstanding mm. uh, senior bowl week, uh, he's someone that could come in and be a compliment. We talked about, um, you know, there, there's a lot of guys. Joe Williams at the, yeah, from Joe the Shrine. Williams, yeah, absolutely. Let me tell you something. This guy right here, his speed is different. That acceleration that he has. So uh, we could talk about him another time. But, you know, you get the right guy, you put him in the right package, you'll be able to maximize Smallwood's ability because he could also catch the ball out of the backfield, which is something they didn't allow him to do as much. That's right. And, Ben, I think he's – I mean, like, to me, he is going to be the new Corell Buckalter. I think mm. he's that, that type of guy that we're – you know, whatever, th- third down back plus or something like that. I just think it, it would be a real shame if you just put all your eggs in one basket for Smallwood, especially in this draft class that's coming in here. Yeah, I think that Smallwood is obviously talented, and, and Teron brought up a great point with that Steelers game in terms of showing what he can do when you kind of get him in a rhythm. Uh, I would still add guys to this backfield because with Ryan Matthews, with Darren Sproles, each having their own questions in terms of either age or just injury history with Matthews. You want to add depth here, but Smallwood's athleticism is going to be important for this football team because he does have that ability to take it the distance. We saw that at West Virginia. 
um, and he can be an asset in the passing game. I would love, I mean, Jamal Williams would be great, just kind of, and then also I love like Samajay Pirine or Brian Hill, just kind of the running back who can complement Smallwood in that way that it's the type of guy who can punch you in the mouth, like that mm-hmm. big, big bruising mm-hmm. football player. Um, and having that kind of, that those, those two backs and you know rotating in your backfield the guy to punish you and then the guy to run by you i think that'd be an awesome change up and if they're thinking about putting smallwood into that bigger role next year that kind of gives the eagles a little bit more flexibility in the draft in terms of what they want to do early um, maybe focus on wide receiver or cornerback or defensive end or something like that so i'd be i mean i would totally be happy to see him be a bigger part of this team uh, if he can um, and the depths of this running back class suggests that you can you can still add a guy later, um, thinking that Smallwood could be, you know, carry half the load or something like that. But if he doesn't, you could still get that guy in the in the later the later part of the draft who could end up being that that bell cow back. Yeah, and I want to kind of parlay this into uh, our, our good friend David DeFord is also asking like what what position now and obviously you know Carson Wentz is the quarterback and the you're you're trying to look for other and I'm not I'm not saying he's elite but he definitely makes a difference over Sam Bradford and you know what what will be the difference maker in term and I'm going to just phrase it in terms of win totals here Tehran of of the position at what's what can make the most impact if they land is it running back is it corner is it a pass rusher what is it next do you think that they can land an elite talent that makes a complete difference on their season I'm going to go corner, and just because you have the ratio or, or the relationship of the front end and the back end, and I think if they could get a guy that could be more disruptive at the line of scrimmage against receivers as far as keeping that p- short passing game, because if you look, once teams started the short passing game, that pass rush was negated, and they don't have that guy to come up and say, look, man, I know you want to get inside. You want to get inside. You're going to try to, but you're not going to. And a lot of times these receivers were able to get right into their routes, three-step drop, bang, throw the ball, catch it, run upfield. Or when they start coming up and trying to press, three-step drop, move inside, swim move down the field, you're throwing a bomb and you're giving up a big play and the guys are like, what the, come on, man. (laughs) You know, so corner I think would be the biggest contribution uh, to this team, and that's why they absolutely uh, – I don't want to say they have to, but you can almost say they have to because there's so many guys that are, are – there's a good four or five guys worthy of being that, that number 14 or 15 pick. So it's almost like they have to go corner, but they need to look in the, in the uh, free agency also. Drake or Patrick's a guy they should – definitely consider yeah and it's and again i think you know i think we can all agree wide receiver cornerback is is something you can't just do in the draft and and i that that's all going to be expected to happen in free agency um as well i'm you know well i'll wait on my answer ben what do you what do you think what's going to be that elite position that's going to change the win total around right now you know if, if i was drafting for this team i would prioritize defensive end in the first round because i I think that this defensive line is so close to Brandon Graham and Fletcher Cox. And if you get another guy opposite of Brandon Graham, you know, get a Carl Lawson mm-hmm. and you have Brandon Graham and Carl Lawson rushing off the edges with Fletcher Cox coming up the middle. It's like, you can't, you can't block that. You can't block <laughs> all three of those guys. Now I will say, I will agree with Tehran that if you're looking at the defense or looking at the team on a unit by unit basis, I think that cornerback is the weakest position on the team um even weaker than wide receiver and the issue with that as teron pointed out 
is that this, this defensive line is still talented. I mean, I think it could use some help, but it's still a talented group, and the linebackers are good, and the safeties are good. But once teams are able to account for the fact that the cornerbacks couldn't cover, <laughs> the, 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 any talent on the defense is almost totally negated. So mm-hmm. adding, that, adding that elite talent or adding even a marginally good talent at cornerback could completely change the makeup of the defense because you're making the quarterback hold on to the ball for that half extra, you know, that extra half second or something like that. Um, but my thinking would be that with the depth that the cornerback class, I would probably go defensive end or, you know, defensive end in the first round of this draft and then look at a cornerback in the second round. Cause I still think that a guy like you could, you could get Carl Lawson in the first round of this draft and then maybe get an Adore Jackson or getting a close, Quincy Wilson or a Gary on Conley in the second round guys who maybe aren't going to be that top tier cornerback right off the bat, but there's still going to be a big, big improvement over Nolan Carroll or Jalen Mills or Leotis McKelvin. And even that improvement will make the defense so much better in conjunction with having that defensive end. Yeah, definitely. De- definitely still not a high bar bar for that. I want, I'll give yeah. my answer too, but both of you guys have, are, are very high on Carl Lawson, very, very high on it. And I think he's probably, Again, one of the most underrated pass rushers that's talking about. You you keep hearing about Solomon Thomas. You keep hearing about, you know, Derek Burnett, who I freaking hate and can't stand. I don't know why he's so high on everybody's board. Not to him personally. I, you know, he's a good kid and all that stuff. But what is it about Carl Lawson, Teron, that you love so much? I just like his get-off, man, his ability to come off that edge. And one of the things, especially you look at the game uh, against uh, Ole Miss last year, Laramie Tunsil, he set him up, man. You see him, um, you know, get that that outside rush, put his foot in the ground, spin back inside. And that spin move, man, is Dwight Freeney, like, you know, and he happens to wear, you know, the same number. So you you see him uh, just really get off the ball, just get that pressure, make that uh, tackle uncomfortable getting out of his stance. And that's one way that you could really get to the quarterback quickly. So that's what stands out to me. Yeah, and and since that, I you know I I agree with I agree with both. If you get if you get a, an elite pass rusher or an elite cornerback, I think that's that makes the Eagles a playoff team instantly. I do think that again with the and you know Jamal Williams is a guy that we bring up all the time. I think if you have a competent, very skilled, whatever round you want to take him, you can go from Fournette all the way down there. If you have a running back that is a bell cow and it's it's in that. Eagle sense, and I know it's boring as hell, and I know we've gone through this already, but that's what they kind of <laughs> signed up for last offseason when Peterson was coming in here. If you want a ball-controlled defensive football team and the way that they've been running the clock and, and doing a lot of that stuff, most of the time how Eagles have been winning games is pretty much how Dallas has been winning games. So if you want that, that grind. The, 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 the grind them out type of thing, I really do think just a, a competent – the bell cow running back that is, you know, that is very talented will will kind of get that job done. Ben, you've also I want to flip back to uh, Lawson just for a second too. I remember when you were doing Ginger Ginger in uh, draft here in the beginning of the season, he was still number one on your board. You know, between him and Miles Garrett, kind of going into this thing. Uh, are you seeing the same things that Toronto is seeing here? Yeah, and last year they uh, they're actually interviewing Laramie Tunsil who during last year's process I thought was a blue chip offensive tackle prospect. And he said of all the defensive ends he played against, Carl Lawson was the best. And he went up against Tim Williams and John Allen and Miles Garrett. I mean, he went up against those guys. And he said that Carl Lawson was the best. 
And like Teron said, what is so good about Lawson is maybe he's not the Miles Garrett level athlete, but he's so smart uh, as a defensive end. He does such a great job of combining those moves, that inside counter move, the head fake to make the you know, the, the offensive lineman kind of guess to the outside of the inside, and then he, he goes the opposite way to kind of create that pressure. He's such a polished pass rusher, and he has all those moves in his tool belt that, you know, maybe, maybe you're not – maybe what you see is what you get with Lawson. And, and that's – I mean, that's a possibility, but he's so polished right now that he can come on your football team day one and he can be a 10-sack guy for you. And, and that's – I mean, that is the type of player that the, the Eagles need – and just this, this idea of having him next to Brandon Graham and Fletcher Cox is just amazing. And, you know, Brandon Graham and Fletcher Cox, dude, I, I still don't think they get the love that they deserve. And I think a lot of the fans at the end of the year were like, oh, you know, the, the team paid Fletcher Cox all this money. He only got six sacks or something like that. It's like these guys were, I mean, these guys were wreaking havoc all season. They just couldn't finish because um, Vinny they Curry. were really. Vinny Vinny Curry. What? I'm so sorry. I had a large cough there, Ben. I apologize. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they were they were like the only threats on the defensive line and the, the back end of the defense. I mean, the cornerbacks weren't really doing their jobs that well. So if you get that third guy on the line, I mean, it's game over. And Carl Lawson would be just, I think he'd be excellent. Well, you talk about them not being able to finish and that's exactly why cornerback is such a crucial position to address. And that's why I think it's really important for them to address that. Cause that extra second, Brandon Graham goes from he, – he becomes a 10-sack yeah. guy. You know, Fletcher Cox becomes a 9-sack guy. Each of these guys get more. I tell you what, though, another guy that you have to consider, and you watch that Texas A&M game, Miles Jarrett was the third best pass rusher on the field when Texas A&M played Kansas Talking State. about his other side, aren't you? Deshaun Hall Holy was number two. But number one? Jordan Willis. Jordan Willis. I tell you, and he's the guy the Eagles talk to down there at the Senior Bowl. Uh, A lot of teams are looking at him in in a 3-4 outside rush linebacker type of situation. But in that wide nine where he's coming off the edge, the guy's got a swim move, a a spin move as well. I watched him put a swim move on on Connor McDermott, 6'8", 310 pounds, on on the first rep of of, uh, one-on-ones. (laughs) <laughs> he and Deshaun Hall, though, was funny because they were rotating in and out, killing Forrest Lamp in, during practice on that first day. Matter of fact, Forrest Lamp, by the way, did not come back yeah, after that after first that practice. Ray, I remember him you know, But he was injured. That's what he said. I, I'll leave it at that. But I, I'm telling you, uh, Jordan Willis, you know, you get a one, two, three, or like a Sidney Jones, a, a Jordan Willis, Jamal Williams. You pretty much address a lot of problems yeah. right away. Yeah, that's a, it's going to be really interesting to kind of see how they they kind of go from that. Um, and Ben, I want to I want to transition into into uh, just some wide receiver talking again. If if we are missed your questions uh, at all this week, trust me, we will keep them logged because you guys are awesome and you have a lot of questions and there's a lot of information. We just don't have uh, seven hours uh, per podcast, <laughs> but we we love that you are giving us questions. So keep them coming no matter what. Uh, it's been interesting uh, the week. Is, it's I think uh, another guy, as I mentioned, Sidney Jones earlier in the show, who's kind of gotten lost in the shuffle a little bit here, and this is something that I think a lot of the Senior Bowl hype kind of does, and then you forget about some of the other maybe top-tier guys. 
John Ross is kind of in in, in an interesting. That's my number one. And in, in the yeah, <laughs> Ben John John Ross is kind of in an interesting spot where uh, I I see a lot of people all over the place with him. I still think he's kind of a has a, a, a ton of, of first round talent, and I don't see him on a lot of first round boards. Where do you view John Ross right now? I love John Ross. You know, besides, you know, besides, if you look at Corey Coleman, not Corey Coleman, I'm sorry. He did look it. at Corey Davis. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Sorry. Different Don't, Corey. It's, it's back, to back, <laughs> back to back years of, of Corey love, so I understand. It's okay. Top Corey. Um, it, you know, besides Corey Davis, there's a really strong argument for John Ross being the second best receiver in this class. If you look at Mike Williams' injury history, you know, you look at D.D. Westbrook's off-the-field issues. You know, John Ross is really, I mean, he's a smaller guy, but he's really a complete receiver in the way that he's an incredibly good route runner. He plays very, very big for his size. Um, and he's very, I mean, he's awesome after the catch. And I think he's kind of getting mislabeled as being a pure deep threat guy yep. because he is good at being, he is good at getting deep down the field. But I think that really undersells the, the technician that he has, oh he is at the wide receiver position. Tell him about such, the release point. Uh, yeah, he's all about the getting getting off the line quickly. You know, does such a great job releasing at the line. He's, I mean, like I said before, he's physical for his size. He does well against press coverage, um, and just saying that oh, you know, he gets open all the time because he's fast really undersells how good mm-hmm. of a route runner he is, how mm-hmm. good he is at the line of scrimmage. And also, he's he's really dependable catching the football. Uh, he's not he's not really this one trick pony player. He can really do it all. And you know, when people bring up, oh, you know, he's a lot like Brandon Cooks, and I love Brandon Cooks, but I think that kind of it, it, it misrepresents what John Ross is able to do. He kind of is that Emmanuel Sanders type of player who can really do everything for your team. Yeah, he can be a deep threat, but he can also you can also put him in the slot. He can work the middle of the field. He's tough going over the middle. Mm. Um, You know, he can get open on those short passes. He can even go up over guys and catch the football. I mean, he was really doing it all. And maybe, I mean, I think that Corey Davis is the better receiver just because he has the, you know, he is much bigger. He he is more consistent in those traffic type situations. But if you're not getting Corey Davis, um, and you really want to address that wide receiver position in the first round, and John Ross is there. I mean, that's a guy who could help your football team immediately. Yeah, I like John uh, Ross also. I, I like how you mentioned him coming across the middle because that's something that guy has no fear running that slant. Now, I'm not sure if that fear is going to develop after he takes a major hit from a linebacker in the league, but one thing I will say is he gives you that that added element, and I, I, like, I like Corey Davis. Don't get me wrong. I like him a lot, but John Ross is my number one because the thing that I look at with him, you, you factor in at the tunnel screens, you factor in his ability to be effective on the jet sweep as well, and just even though he's more than just a deep threat, that deep speed ability that he has, I mean, the guy's from Long Beach, you know, just like a a, a guy who wears number eleven for the Redskins, Sean <laughs> Jackson, and I'm not I'm not saying that he's the same player. But he, he has actually worked with Deshaun a lot. And it's funny because one of the things that, uh, you know, through a, a friend of mine who works with Deshaun, one of the things that, that they talked about was having to slow down to not outrun the throws that a quarterback makes. Now, when you have a guy with that type of speed, that changes the way defenses play. And you don't have to have 100 catches. You could have 50 catches for 800 yards 
and still have the same effect that a guy that has 110 for 1,200 has just because of your ability to stretch the field and open things up underneath. So, yeah, 100%. John Ross, that's my number one receiver just from an all-around perspective. And, I mean, I love the guy's heart. And, obviously, you know, there was an injury in the past, but you just watch just the way that he, he's able to work you know, with the ball in his hands, and the releases are stupid. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. It's, that's, oh that, that's the most ridiculous part about, yeah, because, and just like you guys have been saying, like, yeah, the speed in the, is impressive, and a lot of that stuff he does after he gets open, but it's it's how he gets open. It is mm-hmm. so intoxicating to watch. <laughs> when you're just sitting there, you're just like, oh, my God. Even, on, you know, on those, on those and, and it's great for third and ones. It's great <laughs> for third and twos. It's bop, 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 and then and he's on and the slant, yeah. and there's, there's two yards of separation already, and, and you're just like, how did he do that? And the ability to just make a big play out of anything, just just – Go ahead and Google the play that he had against the Dory Jackson. He made yeah. a Dory. He made a Dory Jackson fall. Like it, it looked like somebody <laughs> sniped him. You know what I mean? And it's oh yeah, not I, right. do, I actually I do <laughs> yeah. remember that. Where it was just it looked like it looked like somebody was going down the lane at about, yeah. on the basketball, and then all of a sudden he broke his ankles. And, yep, crossover. And, whoop, whoop, whoop. And the the moment that, it was the moment that like he just stepped to one side. The quarterback already knew he's like that dude's falling down. And whoop, yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, definitely Google that because that is that's one, probably one of his most. Uh, impressive step-offs there. Uh, guys, we have a ton of people to get through, and unfortunately we don't have a ton of time tonight to get through everybody, but trust me when I say Tehran and Ben have loads and loads of information for you guys throughout the entire offseason. We will do this again next week for sure. But, Ben, uh, give me some uh, some final thoughts on anything you want to uh, touch on that we uh, we didn't might, uh, might not have gotten to uh, on this episode. Oh man, you're putting me on the spot. Here. <laughs> I, was, I was like, oh, there's, there's, there's a lot of dead time. Well, Tehran, like, Tehran, oh, we'll go to Tehran. Th- think about it for a second. We'll go to Tehran. Tehran, give us some, uh, some final thoughts on, uh, on anything that's uh, still on your mind here. Final thoughts, staying on the Senior Bowl theme. Donnell Pumphrey is my favorite prospect in this whole draft class. Wow. He talked to the Eagles uh, a bunch of times. Uh, Darren Sproles is retiring next year. Yes. <laughs> I'm not saying he's the same player, but he's a guy that could, you know, affect the game in a similar way, catching the ball at the backfield as well as, uh, you know, in the return game. He didn't return punts or kicks at, at San Diego State, but that was only because the coaches did not want him to because he got so many touches Yep. as a running back. I know there's concerns about his weight, but he had plenty of carries. And if you watch the senior bowl, you'll see him go against I forget how not forget, but I don't know how to pronounce his name. The the safety from uh Yukon. He's two hundred and twenty pounds. He unloaded on Pumphrey. Pumphrey didn't go backwards. As a matter of fact, he fell wow. forward. The kid is legit. <laughs> Keep your eyes on him. See, there's a, a, every time that we kind of switch around to what what the running back situation is, you really do start to realize how deep this thing kind of goes, and, you know, there, there could be others that are on the end there. Ben, you have any other final thoughts that you've kind of scrummed up now? Yeah, I'll, I'll just stick on the Senior Bowl. A uh, guy that I think is going to get a lot more talk, especially after the combine, is uh, Razul Douglas, yes. the uh, West Virginia cornerback. He had a really strong week from people I've talked to who were down there. I mean, we're talking a, a real 6'2", 215-pound cornerback. Oh, yeah. Very good ball skills. And, uh, you know, I think with a strong combine, he's going to talk himself into, you know, top 50, top 60 to talk. And, and he's an exciting guy. And, and in a corner, deep cornerback class, it's really easy for these guys to get lost in the shuffle. But 
kind of expect him to separate over the next couple of weeks and, and create more publicity for himself. So well, we'll, well we will have to dive deep into both of those fellas as we mm-hmm. do our next episode. But I tell you what, uh, again, thank you to everyone out there on Facebook. Go like our page, uh, facebook.com slash BGN Radio Podcast. And, of course, at BGN underscore radio is where you can find us on the Twitter.com. Our big uh, thank you to our sponsor once again, Clip It. It is indeed the hottest app that is out there. If you don't have this already and you're telling me that you're getting ready for the combine, I'm going to tell I'm going to call you a liar, folks, cuz Vine is dead. Vine is gone <laughs> and done and and even when you try and hold your phone up to the screen of your television or your computer or wherever you're going to watch the combine, wherever you did watch the senior bowl and a lot of that stuff, you would have uh, uh, enjoyed that nice, high-quality HD footage that is, you know, up to 30 seconds. So you get all the commentary. It's a live television in the palm of your hand. You can get it right that second. Or if you see something and you, your phone dies or whatever, not to worry. You can go back up to two hours mm-hmm. uh, from them to live television. So clipit.tv for more information, at clipit.tv on Twitter. And uh, it is for the App Store uh, for all your Android users. It's everywhere. Go download it immediately. And uh, we were going to cut it off right there, but just as luck would have it, this morning, Ellen Shore Parks came in and reported probably the thing that I wanted to hear is that the Eagles are or could be and will be in pursuit of the one, the only, Mr. Kenny Stills in free agency. Makes a lot of sense, okay? That's what we've been saying for a long time. You've heard us on the podcast. You've heard me rant about it for a long time. Yes, I know, and I understand. And there's this thing about Kenny Stills that I don't really get, like, people automatically think that this guy just drops footballs because of the fact that they had one major one this year. And look, it does happen. And I know that us as Eagles fans are completely used to drops not being uh, and literally just having no wide receiver that can consistently catch a football. Kenny Stills, I mean, he's not exactly that. But again, he's a really nice deep threat. That's an upgrade over pretty much everything that's on this football team already. I would really like to see that combination happen. I had mentioned last Saturday when we did the radio show on WIP that if you had a Kenny Stills-Pierre Garçon combo where you're where you're going together like that and that's kind of your little mini splash heading into the season, man, I am all on board with that. Let me tell you that. So the next time we record, hopefully there will be a little more sneakily things that are happening. But you're starting to see with everything that Jimmy has reported, Jimmy Kemsky had reported earlier in the year, And now it's all starting to add up why they're clearing cap space, who they're going after, so it should make for a very fun offseason. So that's going to do it for episode number 221. For myself, John Borchard, for, of course, Teron Davenport from Eagles Wire and the handsomest man in the land, Mr. Ben Natan. I want to thank you for listening right here on BleedingGreenNation.com and BGNRadio.com. Thanks, Benny. Sorry, buddy. I don't know what happened. Yeah, sorry about that. I got I got disconnected or something. That was, <laughs> that was hey, weird. man. The Rasul Douglas mention was golden. Yes. Thank you for mentioning him. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. That dude's a baller. I saw people pumping him up all week. I thought it would be important. I I like him. He's he's, he's, a, he's a baller, man. It, you know, and the thing I like about him, he's coachable. I saw him on a couple reps where he was struggling to break down and and you know kind of come down and 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 get that pass breakup. They were running comebacks against him over and over again, and then it just 
you saw the coach pull him aside. Coach, I think it was Coach Donatel. I pulled him aside, and next thing you know, he's breaking and he's he's breaking those passes up, man. That's that's I, I like Ross, and his his story is awesome too. Um, it's funny because he went to Nassau Community College, and uh, I actually got recruited by Lackawanna Junior College, and the game that that's where Kevin White went. And the game against Kevin White, he had a really outstanding play, and that's when everybody started to recognize him. But when he was at Nassau, the guy was eating food off of the dollar menu. He would eat half a hamburger <laughs> and then save it for later. He's taking the bus back and forth to, you know, from from uh, uh, North Jersey to to uh, Nassau to, to go to school. Man, awesome story. The love is there, and I mean. When I when he saw me in the bow tie, we were talking about that, and he has the bow tie swag too. So I gotta love him. <laughs> nice man, that's awesome.